Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John, although John's not here. And I'm sorry for that. He is wrapped up in, we're actually both wrapped up in a very intensive investigation that's going on right now. And uh, we had to choose which one of us was going to be with you today. And uh, I volunteered. Let's just put it that way. So uh, John hopefully will be with us next week. But today you've got me. Hope that's okay with you. So I hope you've got a nice uh, cup of coffee ready for the conversation to begin. And I wanted to start off by commenting on a very interesting expose that recently came out in the media having to do with um, the Crime Stoppers organization. And you've seen these ads and you've seen billboards and you know, like 1-800-CALL-CRIME-STOPPERS or whatever. And the idea is that uh, for people to report um, crimes, you know, provide tips to law enforcement in order to investigate crimes. There's sometimes a monetary uh, consideration for that. And it's always, in my mind, been a little bit suspect, like where all that's coming from. But it turns out that um, this organization in particular, there's a focus on uh, the Houston um, chapter, I suppose, of Crime Stoppers as an organization, um, has raised millions of dollars in donations and a lot of those donations come from grants that are given by the government and uh, they found out that uh, for example the district attorney's office in Houston had donated a very sizable sum of money to Crime Stoppers and uh, recently the thing that caught people's attention is that there's uh, in that area, anyway, been a lot of um, political advertising that, when traced back to the funding, uh, turns out that it's coming from Crime Stoppers. And th- this is very disturbing to me because the the very idea that uh, we continue to politicize the concept of fighting crime, solving crime, seeking justice in our system is literally abhorrent and uh, I think just immoral but uh, you know this is something that's just brewing right now because the the, the way that these um, revelations are coming forth is based on financial information as well as um, a lot of many layers of secrecy that are part of that but uh, apparently the initial reports that we're receiving are that crime stoppers has um, been behind a lot of uh, political campaigning. Uh, And you've heard this issue come up on the show, this show, many times. And I I just think it's it's very interesting that this is something that uh, sort of bubbles to the surface now and then. But the issue that um, making the case for a candidate for judge based on an opponent's uh, supposed track record in dealing with crime is something that is, uh, in many ways, you know, just completely contrary to um, the very idea behind Lady Justice being blind. 
I don't know. Do we call her Lady Justice? It's always a lady, you know, that's blind and has a sword and a scale. I don't know. Uh, I don't suppose it needs to be a lady, but that's how you usually see it. Um, and what I mean by that is that in order for justice or whatever whatever that term means, I think um, we can all agree that as a good thing, we want it to be something that we can rely upon and be accurate and um, fair. And it's really it's, it's really kind of ironic that our founding fathers, with with their various faults, true, they were all white land-owning, you know, gentry of sorts, um, still thought that it was very, very important to work in uh, provisions in, in our government and rights that we have to try and protect against that very thing, utilizing the possibility of incarcerating somebody as a political weapon. And it's just kind of ironic that uh, the very things that were embodied in some of our amendments in the Bill of Rights, as well as the concept of separation of powers, was supposed to be, and probably still is, uh, supposed to be the best way to guard against this very thing. And so what's happening is, uh, you've seen it before, you know, the funding of uh, attack ads. And... The, obviously, there's a much bigger issue here that we could spend many, many hours talking about. But the the idea that um, you know unregulated and more or less unsupervised funding of political activity through a variety of means, including PACs and super PACs and and you know dark money and all that stuff, um, really, in my mind, contributes to a, a corruption of of our system and it preys on people's fears so think about it if crime stoppers is uh you know on in the in the name of making communities safer collecting money for you know from the government taxpayers etc and is not a part of the government but really a private organization that turns out is operating for profit um and includes getting the support of entities such as the district attorney's office and various political campaigns in order to elect or reelect judges who proclaim a view that they are quote unquote tough on crime. And then you can see how that's a recipe for us veering further and further away from a system that we can rely upon its, its own integrity because of, the system that was set up by our founding fathers. Um, oh, by the way, isn't it weird that we we say founding fathers? <laughs> like, you know, it's not just uh, a, a bunch of old men wearing white wigs, but it's actually, you know, some uh, paternal sort of thing. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But um, this really leads to a, a bigger issue that really has been one of my pet peeves for, for many, many years, and that is... All the things that contribute to uh, people in society losing faith in the integrity of our system and identifying the, the real base needs that, that motivate people to seek power, money, um, and 
manipulation of public opinion that furthers all of that. So, you know, this is just kind of the, the tippy point of the spear, the pointy end of the spear, when we're looking at the bigger issue, because it, it's, it's something that provides such a broad opportunity for uh, people to dip in to the process and basically assume that voters are dumb <laughs> and will simply have a knee-jerk reaction to uh, a visceral issue such as fear, you know, fear of crime, fear of what could happen to you if you don't elect the tough judge and the tough judge that takes the tough stance because that's the easy, uh, you know, almost avoidant way of dealing with crime by just saying, okay, I'm going to be tough on it, which is not a, a problem-solving intellectual um, function. That is simply a, you know, if you ask a, a five-year-old, you know, what's, what is better, putting a bad guy in jail or setting a bad guy free? Well, most people are going to say putting the bad guy in jail, right? I mean, just such a basic idea that um, it's very susceptible to uh, weaponizing that concept and using it as a way to, unfortunately, get votes and power. And, you know, this is just, <laughs> it's stunning to me that um, under the auspices of uh, an organization that is supposed to be a helping organization, something that is supposed to be touted as uh, a benefit to our society. And by the way, filling the gap that can't otherwise be filled by regular uh, traditional law enforcement activity. We have to encourage citizens to have a monetary incentive to report crime. So let's talk about that. Um, I, I've had cases over the years where the initiation of an investigation came from somebody who was seeking uh, remuneration from uh, monetary reward and that in and of itself should kind of raise a few eyebrows but um, it, it becomes problematic I mean seriously it becomes problematic when trying to sort out the truth and what really happened in the situation well we're gonna come back with this discussion right after these messages so stay tuned and so if you follow the way that um, different portions of our government functioning are funded and how budgets work and things are allocated. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept that in order to continue doing the various functions that uh, uh, government does, there needs to be, number one, uh, a performance-based uh, standard for where that funding should go. And secondly, uh, you know, a needs-based uh, analysis of where that funding should go. And in every community, and I don't care what you're talking about or where within our country, there is always a very strong um, argument that law enforcement continues to have needs that are ever-increasing. We need to allocate more and more taxpayer dollars towards law enforcement. Now, a lot of that has to do with, quite honestly, the, the fact that the function of law enforcement is certainly very complicated. Um, it involves not just training of people, but uh, purchasing of equipment and maintaining that equipment. And of course, as technology becomes more readily available, 
Um, it only makes sense that in order to have a, an effective law enforcement function, you know, we need to keep current with those types of things. So it, it's an expensive venture, no doubt. Um, however, there is also this phenomenon that in order to continue uh, being able to anticipate those future needs, you know, current spending needs to occur. And I remember back when I was um, in the Air Force and it seemed like there was this endless cycle year after year, there was a message from uh, the higher commands that consistently said, we need to do more and spend less. Good idea. But um, the idea, what it really did is given the fact that the uh, baseline for how do we accomplish more by spending less turned into uh, kind of a spending spree. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that let's say a particular portion of uh, a particular function of, in this case that I'm using the, the military, uh, 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 let's say a, you know, when I worked in a, basically a photography lab that processed um, gun camera film. And I can tell you that it, w it was the same with all different organizations that are part of um, that particular mission, that if you don't spend the money this year, you might lose it next year. So, you know, a lot of this um, justification for why the money is needed has to do with spending it now so that it doesn't get taken away from you later, right? So, you know... I want to get back to this whole Crime Stoppers thing that as as a general principle, we're talking about funding that isn't uh, part of a budget necessarily, or at least conceptually that, you know, if there's this private organization that, that raises funds through, you know, bake sales and brat prize and things like that, um, that that ends up supplementing, contributing to the bottom line of what's needed in order to sustain a law enforcement function. So if you think about that, um, it's an outside source that if it's worked into the equation of an operating budget or if it's accounted for, it needs to continue sustaining itself. You know, and I, this might be a bit of an odd analogy, but it's like acquiring a disease that you can't get rid of because once you're, you've become accustomed to it, it just has to be, it remains part of your system. Like it's a something that that if it went away all of a sudden all the adjustments that have been made to accommodate that particular part of the procedure would um suffer otherwise you see what i'm saying here that um in a system whereby there is money that gets funneled towards an organization that is designed to supplement and help out things financially it has the dual effect of promoting the bloating of budgets, um, but also creating the availability of additional funds so that money that is allocated could potentially be wasted or spent for the sake of spending it. So that in and of itself is, is problematic. But add to that, as I was referring to before, the, this problematic notion that someone, anyone, could stand to profit financially by reporting crime and it should on its face uh, concern people that when you're bringing that into the equation first of all why 
do we need to do that? And secondly, is it a good idea to have that be the source of information where someone will get money? You know, uh, Crime Stoppers, tip tip lines, all this stuff. You can get a some, such and something reward. Now, we just saw recently, by the way, um, the, the Milwaukee man who, uh, well, man with Milwaukee ties that was taken into custody for the attack in the New York City subway um, shooting and all the stuff this guy did. And they did offer a reward for information that would lead to his capture. And in that case, uh, that may or may not have contributed to it. But, you know, people did receive a financial reward. Turns out that this dude turned himself in. But, you know, it was kind of simultaneous with the fact that um, I think at least a few people had uh, called in tips about person's whereabouts, that kind of thing. So... You know, I guess you can use that as an example to say that uh, when you offer a reward for turning turning in the the bad guy, that it incentivizes people to um, speak out. And and I suppose there is an altruistic notion that that money sounds weird to say, but that money is something that may help people overcome uh, fear of repercussions for reporting somebody in other words you you know sell out but the but the more likely logical way that uh, this can have a negative effect on the entire process is if the, if that's where the inception of information comes from instead of you know supposedly objective law enforcement investigation which is generated by the gathering of evidence or, or the reporting of crime that doesn't expect any kind of financial reward um, is going to be, a, I would suppose, a better and more reliable investigation because of how it was started. And it, it just it really bothers me that we we can't seem to do anything in this world, in this country, without having there be some sort of financial aspect behind it all and that includes uh the way that judges are elected kind of goes back to my original point here that if it's based upon a presumption that voters will not think about this hard enough and will simply respond to the idea that there is too much crime and hey i'll admit it there there's probably always too much crime because in a perfect world, there would be no crime and I wouldn't have a job and that would be fine with me. I'd do something else, but the way it stands right now, um, yeah, there's, there's always too much crime, but the way that we try and deal with it is extremely primitive. And when it comes from, uh, sources, you know, the, the inception of how we deal with these things is all wrapped around who stands to profit from it? Um, it's really a formula for, uh, in my mind, an immoral way of pursuing that concept of justice, whatever that means. So, you know, it has the potential as as we uncover the way that, that things are initiated and how they're pursued. And when it comes from 
the potential to, to profit financially. It taints the entire process. One would hope that if you're going to report a crime, it would be because you're doing your duty as a citizen. And if you know something, you should say something. I mean, that's a very good concept. I mean, that makes sense. And you can feel proud of your role in the community by doing so. What you're doing is you're turning over information and letting somebody else deal with it in the way that they're responsible for doing um, with their training and experience and uh, the resources and occupations that all go towards that necessary function. So why would we even think about monetizing this and polluting the entire process by saying, we'll give money to people? Well, I think you can see why it has the potential to go down that path because by doing that it's so much easier to request donations and get funding from grants and from district attorney's offices and i don't know that this happens locally i really have no idea but it's definitely happening in houston texas we'll be right back after these messages i'm going to shift the discussion a bit although somewhat related to what we're already talking about I read an interesting article earlier this week that talks about how democracy is really a function of um, morality and, and, or the equivalent of seeking morality. And I found that interesting because I've, I've always kind of believed that, that what was the very essence of what we're trying to accomplish in this country by having it be um, a non- dictatorship, not a monarchy, not a system whereby very few people make decisions on behalf of um, their own their own interest and their own benefits um, at the cost of the people that do not have the ability to influence that process. In other words, democracy as a concept is supposed to be something that will protect the integrity of a society and will be better for all those citizens than other systems that exist in the world. And it's interesting when you think about it because, you know, where did socialism, communism and things like that, which obviously are two very different things, but but the notion where there's a, a distribution, a redistribution of wealth, which in this country we find repugnant. Um, but where, where did those ideas stem from? Well, they, they had their roots, actually, you know, in democracy. It was just taking things a step further as far as trying to um, at least represent, in theory, um, an equalization of, um, you know, the standing of citizens. Now, we all know you know, Soviet Union's an excellent example of how it just didn't work because even within that system, uh, bad people will be tempted and certainly will uh, utilize power over other people in such a way to politically and financially enrich themselves. And I've always found this fascinating because in a in a uh, socialist uh, country, using the Soviet Union as a good example. Somehow, even though everyone's supposed to be equal and everyone's supposed to have the same sort of access to the the wealth of the country by, by having it be something that every comrade shares together, 
we still end up with people that uh, at the higher echelons of government are very, very privileged and uh, are rewarded in ways that are contrary to that entire notion. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why the Soviet Union fell apart is that the way things were, were going were, were contrary to the, ver the very notion that created the system and had an appeal to people as to you know where they stood in relation to the government and there's also aspects of it of course we can become more familiar with over the years this basic idea that okay let's not have um you know individual people like a person that makes all the decisions for a country and uh, you know without the input of people without the participation of people but you know it it turns into and morphed into in a, in a rather short period of time, a system whereby that very thing happened in the name, you know, very contrary to the very name of what it was supposed to represent. So the reason I raise this is because in the context of what's going on in the world today, I mean, we're in a state of war. And I say we, meaning the world, because I don't know if you've noticed, but we're kind of in the middle of a world war right now. And, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that because the conflict that's the war that's going on in Ukraine right now is something that really hits to the core of what we are supposed to stand for as Americans, you know, democracy, morality, the moral principle that defending a manner of government where where people have the right, the absolute right, to be participants in who leads the government by means of a free, fair election, right? That's that's really at the heart of what we're talking about here. That's something that when countries deliberately deny their citizens basic human rights. I mean, that's, it's built right into our Declaration of Independence, you know, that concept that there are certain things about life that the government shouldn't be able to take away from you simply because it's um, politically or because of the system of government uh, doesn't account for that. And yes, I'm talking about Russia. Yes, I am. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it in case you haven't guessed. <laughs> hard to say what that system of government even is at this point because it's it's proclaimed itself to be you know a democracy of sorts but when the leader of that so-called democracy can uh, change the rules to his own benefit in order to uh, either line his own pockets or more likely i think um, fuel an unchecked, unbalanced, uh, kind of twisted view on um, his own sense of nationalism. And I say nationalism in that in the negative sense because you know you've heard me talk about this before. Nationalism is something that um, depends on what you mean by it. It can mean you're proud of your country, and that's a good thing. But it could also mean that you know inspiring an uh or requiring i should say a 
an undivided loyalty at the cost, at the risk of imprisonment is a bad thing. And sometimes we use that word to mean that. And in fact, more often we use that word to mean that um, in the sense that that's exactly what's going on in Russia. And it's just so utterly shocking to me that in 2022, we are living in a world where a massive country that spans, what is it, nine or 11 time zones, uh, somehow has the ability to dupe its citizens into believing that it's a righteous cause, which is a lie. I mean, it's huge. It's gigantic. (laughs) It's just a preposterous notion, but they're effectively through propaganda and, um, you know, obviously shaping public opinion in such a way that, you know, the whole thing would fall apart. There There wouldn't be a war going on right now if everyone in Russia was had access to accurate news reporting on what's going on. Well, maybe they would. I don't know. I'm I'm just assuming that when you see these reports about Russian opinions, Russian citizens' opinions about what's going on in Ukraine that and but the press releases where the, the Russian government is claiming that it's got the moral high ground here to defeat the neo Nazis and you know, the child abusers of Ukraine, which is really kind of silly when you think about it. But, you know, I told you I'd kind of come full circle here. Isn't that kind of the same thing when Crime Stoppers says we're going to we're going to battle uh, crime in the name of helping you feel safer? Because if you give us money, if we get funding, we're going to spend it in such a way so that you'll all feel better and more safe well hmm uh <laughs> i you know i really am very very curious about whatever the next uh developments in this war are going to take and i know i've said it before but i'm really suspecting that countries nato countries in particular and the united states is going to have to play a different role in this process. And, you know, I know restraint in these situations is a good thing. It always is because it's supposed to prevent out of control escalations of violence and so forth. But one of the reasons that democracy is morality is because we have an obligation based on the principles that we believe in for our own citizens, to promote that um, in other forms of government around the world. Because a truly well-functioning democracy, if if that can ever be achieved, and I don't know that it will, but as an ideal anyway, is something that is supposed to be the bedrock of peace, if you think about it. Because... As long as we can keep that ideal in in the moral focus of what a country's existence is founded on, rooted on, based on, um, it should prevent all of these other manners in which government governments in the world uh, take advantage of human rights. So that's why it's so important. Well, we'll be back right after these messages. Well, welcome back, y'all. Um, so, 
you can probably expect that I'm going to do this, but I'm going to tie all of this into uh, the thing that I typically talk about like every week on this show. And that's uh, the implementation of criminal justice. And I know I talk about all the failings and flaws and imprecisions and the, the vast amount of things that can contribute to things not being ideal, but I'm actually going to focus on why in a democracy which seeks to support morality, um, it's very important that a, a just and reliable system whereby we deal with uh, criminal allegations um, is so very important. And you know what you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lecture you about <laughs> the very some of the very reasons why um, our country exists, going back to its founding, and a lot of it had to do with people's perception of being mistreated, underrepresented, taken advantage of, and and no longer having faith in a system, well, you know, a monarchy where. The roots of that type of government go back to some notion that God or the Lady of the Lake divined Excalibur on a person and then all of the eldest male sons of that person would rule the country because of some divine right, which in modern times we know is absolutely silly. Um, but, you know, that was kind of the... <laughs> standard, right? That was the way that many, many countries in the world were ruled based on who is and who isn't related to Queen Victoria, right? I mean, think about it. So, and the, the fact that um, there had been a notion that something as, frankly, bizarre of the idea that God appointed somebody as you know, divinely entitled to rule over other people uh, is such a contrary to, you know, common sense. Now, I get it, and it's kind of a, it's almost like a kitschy thing, the way that, uh, you know, Britons love their queen, and I know she's a nice lady and all that stuff, but it, it's kind of like a, a cultural thing where this blind devotion, and it's not universal, by the way, but you know what I mean, um, but this respect for the, the, the old uh, empire tradition of acknowledging that there is a queen, which, by the way, has no power whatsoever <laughs> in, in the modern English government. She is simply the queen. That's it. Right. Um, because England adopted a parliamentary system well after we developed a system that would become the model for a parliamentary system. We call it Congress. They call it Parliament. Yeah, but they're very similar in terms of how their functioning works. So, you know, England represents a democracy much more than it ever did uh, with the inception of a parliamentary system and the basic removal of powers from the monarchy. But the things that were being done to colonists and the manner in which loyalties were being controlled. Um, it, it involved a great deal of cracking down on uh, people's rights. And when, the, when we say people's rights now, it means something very different. 
I mean, back then it, 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 there was no problem. There was no, you know, uh, precedential, um, way to say that the, the right to gather in public and speak about the government and to criticize the government and to worship as you see free and fit. Those were concepts that, especially emanating from that monarchical, monarchical, however you say that, a monarchy-based system, um, were simply not congruent with um, the ability to keep that intact. So th those notions, which now are actually part of English government, were something that we as who would eventually become Americans fought very hard for. And it goes back to this notion that the morality, the basic morality uh, of democracy is something that infiltrates and should we should promote that to infiltrate all aspects of life. Now, one might say that I'm making an argument that we're doing the same thing as other empires used to do. We're just calling it something different. And I, I acknowledge that it sounds that way. But what I'm really talking about is the fact that the, the, we, the best form of government that we've been able to discover in this world is ours. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a proud American. I certainly am. But it's also because there have been other experiments in how governments can operate. And, you know, you probably know this, but if you don't, I'll tell you that our form of government, our ex the, the existence that we are living right now, going on nearly 250 years, is one of the oldest forms of government that currently exists. And I want you to think about that. Because all of those monarchies, and there's still some countries, you know, some the little ones here and there in Europe, but all of the changes in forms of government that have happened around the world, most of those significant sea changes have happened after we started this country. Yes, Russia is an older country. Yes, England's an older country. Yes, you know, Denmark is an older country. But the manner and form of government that, that exists in those places are things that were created and invented long after we set the example. And in most ways, if you look at where stability exists, it's in countries and governments that have tried to mirror our democratic ideals. And that's really true when you think about it. Where Where is there the most turmoil and where is there the most concern over instability? Places like North Korea, places like Russia, China even. Now China has somehow con, uh, you know, converted itself from this communist notion to being this powerhouse of um, a very complicated um, hierarchical you know, system of, um, you know, profit. <laughs> and once again, I mean, much like the Soviet Union, uh, there is uh, not the distribution of wealth that you would think is supposed to be part of that ideal. So, you know, again, money gets in the way. Now, money gets in the way of us doing things the way that we should. It always does, right? But at least we can refer back to what that ideal is and we can define it. We can say what democracy is, Right. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can say, how do you know what it is? Well, you can look at the Constitution. You can look at the Bill of Rights. That is democracy. 
This is a representative democracy. And, you know, we know the flaws involved with um, the need, frankly, to have uh, a few people speaking on behalf of others. But, but we have uh, elections that elect representatives and senators and governors and mayors and other government officials and, yes, judges. So, hopefully, hopefully there's a way in our imperfect world to keep that perfect ideal in mind in all things we do. And when it comes to standing by in an isolationist uh, stance and watch uh, the atrocities occur in Ukraine. And by the way, yes, sanctions are good. And yes, uh, sending money and supplies is good. But the war isn't over. And people keep dying. And this is all in the name of a country that has aspired to hold the same ideals that we do. So can't you agree with me that we have a moral obligation to do more? And to support people that are seeking a way of life that we hold dear in this country? Yes, it is a moral obligation. What does that mean? I don't know. But the one thing I do know is that it needs to be more. So I hope you, like me, I looked outside this morning and I could not believe that uh, we're actually experiencing some weather that fits the calendar. How did that happen? <laughs> I will tell you that earlier this week, which was the most beautiful day, you know, at, yet in um, 2022, I spent the entire day inside the courthouse doing a trial. And uh, fortunately, Saturday is a, is a pretty nice day too. So I hope you enjoy the remainder of your weekend. You can tune in next week as you can every week right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. This is Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Have a great weekend.